We are in Matthew chapter 15 today. The message is entitled, Ministry of Grace and Truth. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would now just bless, Lord. As we open your word, give us understanding. Lord, apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray if there are any here that do not know you as Savior. Lord, there's some that come every week and listen. Lord, today would be the day you open their heart to understand, draw them to yourself. And Lord, that we might be people of compassion like our Savior was. People of the gospel, people of grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The three parts in this chapter, the first one is about hardened, rebellious legalists. They're hardened. The second is about a lost pagan that knew she was lost. The third part of this chapter is about our compassionate, gracious, loving Savior. Jesus realizes that the nation, the leadership has rejected him. And so more and more he's going to pull away. He's going to begin to just train his disciples. And that's what you need to keep in mind as you're reading these passages. It's not just about what he's doing, but what he's showing his disciples. And how they are learning, or maybe I should say later they will realize what they missed. And say, oh, we remember when he taught us that. But legalism is a hard thing to get over. Some of us have grown up in legalistic type churches and didn't even realize it was legalism until later. But you need to understand something. Legalism is not what you do, but why you are doing it. There may be somebody that has a standard in their life. They don't drink alcohol. That's not legalism. That's a good way never to get drunk. Okay? Don't drink alcohol. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to be drunk. So some have said, and Bible, the Bible even in the Old Testament gives credence to a group of people that said, we're just not going to touch wine. And they weren't even Hebrews. They were godly people. He said, God gave them a blessing. That doesn't make it legalism because you decide we're not going to partake. Maybe in your home you say, we're just not going to have TV. There's so much garbage on TV, we're not going to have TV. That doesn't make you a better Christian than somebody else. Legalism is when you say, and nobody else should have a TV. And if you do, then you're just not as good as we are. And you need to understand something. When young people grow up with that, they need to exp- you need to explain that to them because it's very easy to grow up and just be a legalist and not even know it. I got a, a bad, uh, I don't know what you call it, experience. We took some young people to a thing called uh, basic youth conflicts years ago. They're brand new believers. And there was a couple of good things that we learned from that. But there are some people that are, are very self-disciplined in their nature. That's just kind of who they are. And they tend to lock onto legalism. And we went to that seminar, and it was about the second or third time I'd been. And so all of a sudden, I began to recognize some of those things that were saying alarm. So I took time and spent time with those young people after that seminar and said, listen, these things are legalism. It was too late for some of them. Some of them latched onto that legalism like, and it is ruled in their life, the rest of their life. 
It's very difficult. That's the difficulty even the disciples are having here. Because the Pharisees were the religious conservatives. They were the patriotic conservatives of their country. They believed that God was supernatural. They believed in life after death and reward. But they had substituted their traditions for the word of God. You know, man does that all the time. Let's just begin in this chapter. Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them, Why do you break God's law? What was Jesus ministering? He was ministering boldness. I think the thing that we ought to admire about Jesus the most is now that he's in opposition, how is he ministering? Yes, the fickle crowd still liked him because they got what they wanted, food and miracles and healing. But he knew that they were just honoring him with their lips, but their heart was someplace else. And so he comes right back at them. That's the truth. And you don't love people if you don't give them the truth. You need to understand, God always ministered, Jesus always ministered in love, but he spoke the truth in love. And the truth can be offensive, especially to a legalist. To someone who's lost, the truth comes across as offensive. I remember we did a funeral years ago. I'm reminded because Ben Brown's here this morning and during the funeral, it was just a great funeral for a beloved friend and a young man that had been in our youth group for a while. He wasn't a believer, but he had come back for this funeral, knew this fellow also. Came up to Jeff Brown and said, well, that was really an inappropriate sermon. Uh, I preached. I do that sometimes because I preached about everybody needs to understand this is the way you're going and this is your only hope. Because the truth offends. For the most part, people don't want to think about death or their end. Nowadays, a lot of people just don't even have funerals because they don't want to bother people. Oh, they moved away. Yeah, they moved away, all right. Permanently. Just not think about it. But Jesus ministered to these Pharisees very abruptly and very sternly because he loved them also. He just didn't give him a pass. But he did minister in this time also to his disciples. There's a time to leave off and let, let God deal with people. So he tells them, why do you break God's law? And then he gives them the scripture. Verse 3, and he answered and said, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? The reason is, like so many, even today, traditions are higher than God's word. In the Roman Catholic Church, they're taught the Bible is the word of God. That's good. That's a good thing. That's why probably the, most of the people in our church are people that have come to Christ from the Roman Catholic Church because we preach the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the Bible is the word of God, but the fathers are over that. Because you can't just have anybody reading the word of God. They've got to tell you what it means. Guess where that came from? The Hebrews. You talk to a Jewish person today, 
And you think, well, I'll just bring them to Isaiah 53. There it is. That's who Jesus is. No, no. You need a rabbi to tell you what the Bible says. You need a rabbi to do that. That's why I think it's such an amazing thing that Jesus just chose some businessmen, some fishermen to be his apostles. For the most part, they're all just fishermen. He had one attorney, the apostle Paul. The rest were all fishermen. Because God's word means something. They have a guy down in Houston, I believe, Joel Osteen. And he stands up and he has everybody grab their Bible and hold it up there and they do a little, little poem. They do this poem and they say, you're about to receive the engrafted word of God. And then he gives them Joel. What a disappointment. You can do it. It's all over the place. Why? Because to fulfill the word of God and be obedient to the word of God takes supernatural life. It takes grace. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The point of the law was not salvation. The point of the law was to point out to people that you cannot be righteous on your own. To bring people to a place like we sang the last song, we need you. God, we need you. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need his death on the cross. We need that sacrifice. We need that sanctification that only comes from him. But they wanted something manageable. They could control people. That's what what Pharisees like to do. That's what legalists like to do. Put you under their control. You've got to come to this church. You've got to listen to this. You've got to do this. You've got to jump this high. You've got to give this much. And then maybe when you get done, you won't have to spend as long in purgatory. That's great news. Only a million years. And if somebody gives some money, they can give you out. Is that in the Bible? Absolutely not. It's not in the Bible. It was invented by a monk who wanted to raise money for the Sistine Chapel. And he said, hey, why don't we, why don't we do this, Pope? Why don't we just say... As soon, little, little sales pitch, as soon as the money is heard clinking into the changer, a soul flies away free to heaven. Now, you don't want to think about your mom suffering in purgatory, do you? Purgatory is the place where you get purged for the rest of your sins. Listen, Jesus paid it all. The Bible says that after he offered himself, he sat down once for all. His ministry is completed. Nothing left to do. Well, the Pharisees wanted to add these burdens. Jesus said, they add burdens on you, they won't lift with their little finger. So it wasn't the problem that the apostles were, had dirty hands when they're eating their sandwiches, you know, their fish sandwiches. No, they didn't do the ceremonial cleaning. When you go to Israel today, and you're in a Jewish part of the city, and you go into the restroom, you'll find soap and water and a cup. And the cup is so you can do ceremonial cleansing. After you wash your hands, you must also run down your elbow and then turn it around, pour it, let it run down your hands. Now you're ceremonially clean. Because 
they took the saying, or I should say maybe they invented the saying, cleanliness is next for God, to godliness, and they made it ceremonial cleansing is godliness. And yet he said, you reject God's law. Listen to what he said. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. It's Corbin. Yeah, sorry, mom and dad. You need money and food, clothing. Uh, You know, I can't honor you that way because I gave it to God. I can use it right now, but it's really God's. When I die, it's going to be God's. So, you know, all kinds of ways to get around what the scripture said. Scripture is pretty simple, pretty easy to understand. You need to honor your father and mother. Verse 6, he is not to honor his father or his mother. By this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Ooh. See, the, the disciples were still thinking, you know, we get the crowd going this way, and if we could just win the Pharisees, then maybe they could influence the Sadducees, and then whew, you could be king. Remember how Jesus had forced them in the boat at the feeding of the 5,000 was done? Why? Because in John 6 says, because they were going to force him and make him king. And the disciples were like, yeah, right. And they were like, which, which job do I get? Right? He's the king. Obviously, we're real close to him. It says Jesus forced them in the boat and said, you leave now. And then he dismissed the crowd. And the disciples were like, hey, you, you know, we're... Do we have to keep offending these people? They were offended. Now, whether they were intimidated by the Pharisees, probably, or just that they knew they couldn't get things done unless they had this political connection. Lord, do you know that you offended them? I've had people say that about my preaching. Well, you really offended people today at that wedding. You know, you, you, you went to Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and following and talked about responsibilities of a Christian wife and a Christian husband and that really offended people. Well, that's too bad. That's what truth does. But if you want to honor God, then you just obey God's word. Simple, not easy. He got their attention. You know, anger, when the word of God upsets you, it's okay. That's an alarm to say, huh, my, sto- my toes got stepped on. What is it God wants me to change, right? And so Jesus goes on, and he calls the crowd over. He'd been in this little huddle with the Pharisees and his apostles, and now he calls the crowd over, and he gives them instruction. This is the doctrine from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, Don't you know that this is offensive? And he answered and said, Every plant which the heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. You see, they called themselves the gatekeepers of heaven. And Jesus said they were blind. But he says, you let them alone. What he's saying is, don't worry about those fellas. Don't worry about them. You follow me. And then they left. Jesus needed to get away from all of this pressure that was coming because he wanted to spend time with the disciples and he could see they need to learn. They're not getting it. Let's read a little further. Peter said, explain the parable to us. I think it's in the NIV. It says, are you still so dull? See, Peter's problem was he didn't understand. It's not that he didn't understand the words that Jesus were saying, but legalism is such a part of his life. Even though they didn't like the Pharisees, they were the standard. Why? Explain that to us again. Will you explain that to us? Because they've been doing their dietary laws and their cleansing laws, all thinking that got them to heaven. A lot of that that God gave them was simply for their health. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart... And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to be eat with unwashed hands, this does not defile the man. You might get sick. He's just saying the physical has nothing to do with the spiritual. God gave some of the ceremonial laws for health. He gave all the law to point to them, to himself, that they needed a savior. They needed spiritual cleansing. And then they went away from there. And they go clear up on the coast to Tyre and Sidon, to Gentiles, to pagans. And they find this woman whose daughter was just demon-possessed and, and just terrible condition. And she begins to cry, and she recognizes who he is. This is a pagan. She's probably tried everything in a religion. She's hopeless. And she cries out after him. Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed, but he wouldn't answer her a word. What is he doing? He's teaching his disciples. And what's the lesson? Listen, you need to hear this. In our nation, in American Christianity today, there's all this talk about, we've just got to be nice and let's pull back and let's not take a stand anymore. And let's change the gospel, make it a little more palatable. Uh, we need to be seeker sensitive. And so let's just change the things so it's a little bit nicer. Let's not talk about sin. Let's call it something else. But you see, when you bring somebody something that's been changed, it's not the gospel anymore. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. He died for our sins. It wasn't a political deal gone wrong. 
He was the sacrifice for our sins. He was the blood that interposed mercy between the law and a holy God that judges on the mercy seat. And he is not keeping her from salvation. He is helping to strengthen her faith. You see, because when it's saving faith and God is drawing somebody, God is drawing somebody, you can't stop them with a tank because this is God's work. She'd heard of this Savior. And like the man that came to Jesus said, do you have faith? He said, Lord, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what's going on here. When you see somebody wrestling with God, let them wrestle. It's kind of an ordeal to try to get a little prayer and just get them to ask Jesus in your heart. And listen, listen, just, just do what I say. Just, just fought. Let, me, let me give you the words. It's like trying to help a chick out of its egg. The little chick is struggling to get out of the egg and it's pecking its way out and it's work. It takes so long and it's exhausted by the time it's good. We'll just help the chick. You will kill the chick. Because what scientists tell us is that as the chick is breaking out of the egg, the work is squeezing the amniotic fluid out of its lungs so it can breathe. You don't have to help God. What we've been called is to give the gospel as simply and clearly as we can. And then God does the work. Otherwise, you end up disciples of you, and they're not going to heaven. And Jesus is teaching that. And it seems like he's being cruel and harsh. He doesn't even listen to her. And finally, the disciples say, would you tell her to be quiet? She keeps crying behind us and yelling behind us. She's following us, yelling. It's making a big scene. Aren't we trying to just get away and be quiet here? Now, I don't know if she was speaking a different language. We know that Jesus had all the gifts. He created it. He could understand her. But she was making a scene. You know what? She, why? Because she was convinced that was her only hope. And the more she went after Jesus, the more she was convinced. And finally, he turns to talk to her. First, he says to his disciples, listen, I'm in, in her hearing, I'm only called to the house of Israel. He hasn't given up on Israel, even though they've given up on him. He still has a plan. One day, the nation of Israel is going to turn to him. As a nation, they will be saved. That's what Revelation is all about. That's what the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, is all about, about Israel finally realizing Isaiah 53 and coming to him. And she hears that, and she comes, she just falls down in front of him. Humble, confessing her need. Lord, help me. And he says, well, I can't give, take bread from the table for the children and give it to the dogs. And I wasn't talking about ravenous dog packs. He was talking about, you know, man's best friend that might hang around the table. You don't, you don't give your food that you go to the children, to the dogs. And you know what? The Bible says the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This, this answer she gave, that was from God. That was from God. She said, yes, but the little dogs get the crumbs that fall. My daughter Hannah has a little Boston Terrier. He's quite a deal. And uh, he knows dogs don't have, to, don't have to be alive very long to figure out you want to be by the youngest child's 
plate. That's where you want to be. Now, it comes to me because he knows I'm, I'm going to give him some too, but, but he wants to stay over there by Lula because Lula not only just spills things, she gives him stuff. So there's Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe, go away. <laughs> I'm leaving here. This is right here. But that answer that she gave was from the Lord. He says, that's great faith. Jesus recognized that answer. We'd say, well, man, if somebody said that, that was offensive. That's the way Jews actually thought about pagans and people from other cultures. They're just dogs. They're the people on the outside. They don't deserve this. And the disciples are watching, listening, and learning. He says to this woman, that's great faith. Be it done unto you as you wish. And her daughter was healed immediately. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if the disciples are thinking, maybe he really shouldn't do things here because she's pagan. God was just, Jesus was just bringing her faith, John MacArthur says, to full flower. And that answer she gave was from the Lord. So now they leave Tyre and Sidon. They come all the way down. They come down along the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to another Gentile place. Because the first time when he fed the 5,000, he fed Jews. Now he's going to feed Gentiles. It's an area called Decapolis. It's, it's a Gentile area. He went from there, withdrew into district of Tyre and Sidon, and then he departed from there, verse 29, and went along by the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain, and he was sitting there. Large crowds came to him. The Gentiles, Herod had it. it. took him a while to hear about it, but the Gentiles knew. Here's a man that can heal everybody, everybody. And they bring all of them to him, and he heals them all, and they're amazed with it. Verse 31, the crowd marveled as they saw the man speaking. And Jesus called his disciples to him, and listen to this. I feel compassion for the people. There's no gospel song, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. I think as believers, even sometimes, we can get so doctrine, we just come away from really caring about people. And we can become just slowly like the Pharisees. We judge everybody that's outside instead of having the heart that Jesus had. And he told his disciples that. I have a heavy heart for the people because they've been with us three days now. And I'm afraid if we leave now that they might faint by the way because they have nothing to eat. Let's give them something to eat. And the, and the, <laughs> the disciples totally just forgot Maybe he thought God couldn't do things like this for Gentiles. And so, I said, well, where could he even buy that much food? I mean, there's the creator sitting there, the one that spoke the worlds into existence, the one that they picked up 12 baskets from the last time he fed the crowds. He said, what do you have? What do you have? Well, we just have a few loaves and fishes. Jesus directed the people to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving them thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. 
And they all were ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over, the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. And as soon as he goes across the lake, here come the Pharisees again. You know, I don't lead people in prayers. I let them wrestle. I used to because I just, we care so much about them. We don't want them to go to hell, right? So we, oh, just say these words, open sesame and God will have to, no. It's what God is doing in their heart, not what we can do, not some magic words we give them. That's why you can explain the gospel so simply to somebody and they go, whatever, and they walk away. And then later, God takes that word you gave them maybe 10 years later and opens their heart and they go, whoa. And they call you on the phone and they say, hey, remember when I used to give you a bad time about being a Christian? I want you to know I've received Christ as my Savior. What, What was the difference? The difference is 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when God speaks light into their heart. When God speaks light. You know, after the resurrection and after the death of Stephen, many of the priests came to know Christ as their Savior. God knows the time. He knows what it takes. Everyone comes through the narrow gate, but God knows how to reach them to bring them there, doesn't he? I can't talk anybody into salvation. I can only give them the word of God. But I have said this to so many people. Okay, you understand it? Yes. And this is, I want them to know. I want, I want to know what they're thinking. Well, what would keep you from receiving Christ? And some say, have said very honestly, well, I just know I can surrender my life yet. And I said, well, that's good. That's where you're at. That's all I need to say. You understand what it is. It's not just understanding the gospel, it's surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. We're just going to leave it there. That's what he told the disciples to do with the Pharisees. They're hardened. We're not going to spend a lot of time. You know, when somebody's not listening and you're arguing, you're just helping build the wall. They're not listening. It's time just to go someone else and continue to pray for them. But Jesus always was compassionate. That's the thing I struggle with in my life, isn't it, with you? You hear the news about the wickedness in our nation and our heart breaks for our country. But listen, as for us as believers, it's not just the wickedness and the anger at rights in our country. It's the fact that those are going to spend eternity in hell. They reject him. So we need to kind of as, a, as, as Christians pull away and realize this world's not our home. Much as we love this country, we're not going to be singing the Star Spangled Banner in heaven. See? So as much as we love our country, and I love my country, because God established this country, but it's also true the wicked will be turned into hell on all the nations that forget God, but you know who his favorite nation is? You, friend. You, one that knows Jesus Christ as Savior, that's his favorite nation. Some from every tribe, tongue, and people group. That's his nation. That's who he died for. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us tender hearts. 
that we would see people as you see them. Lord, you, you said of the men that were driving the nails into your wrists, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, we need that kind of grace. And Lord, we need boldness. We need supernatural boldness to be speaking the truth in love. So in spite of what our culture is doing, we might see a great harvest. And Lord, we ask you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.